The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Amen. All right. As the ushers distribute the study sheets this morning... You can go ahead and turn your Bible with me to John chapter 16. We'll start there today. John chapter 16. And of course, make sure you have your Bibles ready to go and ready to turn. And um, we'll be referring to a lot of scripture today. We've been uh, going through a study on the Great Commission. This is going to be the 13th lesson in our study on the Great Commission and all the many aspects of it. And most recently, we've been studying the effects of the Great Commission. And the first, first, we looked at the effects of the Great Commission on the church. And I gave you two points concerning that. First of all, I, I, I told us and remind us that it affirms the mission of the church. And the mission of the church is not to, uh, the mission of the church is not to, it's not to feed the world. It's not to, uh, at least not to feed the world food. Uh, it's not to run homeless shelter programs and things such as this. This is not the mission of the church. These are all wonderful works and they're great works and, and churches get involved in those works and that's a wonderful thing. But we must understand that it's not the mission of the church. The mission of the church, we said, is to do what? It's to preach the gospel. It's to carry out the Great Commission. It's to go and when we go to preach and when we preach to, to baptize converts, and then to teach them to go and to preach and to baptize and to teach and so forth. That's the mission of the church. And, and if, the, if as a church, if we get our focus off of that and on to other things, then we have failed in, in, in reaching the mission of the church. Again, those are wonderful things. And I think as much as we can, we should participate in some of these other things but not at the expense of being a, a church who goes forth with the Great Commission as we ought to do. Uh, secondly, I, I said the effect of the commission on the church is that it appropriates its resources. And, and there again, we, we looked at the fact that, that there have been established offices within the church, uh, the pastor and the teacher, preacher, evangelist, apostles, all those things were established why? For the edification of the body, for the ministry, for the working of the ministry. Um, you know, one of the things I've learned about, I've, I've noticed in, in 32 years of ministry is that parachurch organizations, who doesn't understand what I mean when I say parachurch? Anybody? Anybody doesn't, un, does not understand what I say when I mean parachurch? I'm talking about organizations that are not a part of the church, but they do, they do spiritual things. They're parachurch. They're, they're in addition to the church. Now, things like youth camps and things like that. They're not a part of the church, but they, they do spiritual works. But I've noticed over the years that the parachurch organizations, when they need people, where do they go? They go to the church. When, when parachurch organizations need people to work, they come to the church. And in many cases, misappropriate the resources of the church. 
So we have to understand that, that the effects of the, of the commission on the church was that it affirmed its mission and it appropriates its resources to, to perform the mission of the church, which is the preaching of the gospel, the, the furtherance of the gospel in this world. Uh, secondly, we looked at the effects of the commission on believers. This was two weeks ago, and I, I said three things about the effects of the commission on the believers. First, I said that it has established our purpose. It has established our purpose. Why do you think that a loving God would leave his children here after they've been saved to, to, to experience all the misery that is associated with this life for a believer? Well, there's a purpose that he did that, and that is so that we will be witnesses unto him. And the Great Commission, Great Commission establishes our purpose. Now, while I believe that as a, as a husband today, as a father, you should work as hard as you can to provide for your family, and while I believe that as a mother today, you should nurture and love your children and, and, and provide things for your home and all those things, while I believe all of that, that is not our purpose. That is not why we are here. The, those are sidelines, and the main emphasis of our life should be, the main emphasis should be preaching the gospel, being, being an, a witness unto Christ. And the Great Commission establishes that purpose. Secondly, I said that the Great Commission has enabled us to perform. Jesus said, all power is given unto me. And, and Jesus has, has transferred, he's given us that power that we could go forth and, and perform the mission that he's given us to do. Our purpose, listen, I can't win, I couldn't go out and be a witness for Christ if it were not for his power. And I would never be able to give the gospel to anyone in such a manner that it would impact them without the Holy Spirit's power. So God has empowered us. The Great Commission, the effect of the Great Commission is that you have been, in essence, given superhuman power. Each one of you here are superheroes. You know that? We're like, we're like the, we're like the, uh, uh, we're like the Justice League. Huh? Superman, Batman, all those guys, right? They got all these superpowers. Well, we have superpower to go forth in this world and interact with people in a way that impacts their life. Do you ever think about that? You're not just some ordinary Joe walking around on the street. You have the Holy Spirit within you, and when you go forth and, and when you touch the lives of people, their lives are eternally touched. Now, whether they receive the Lord or not is not your business, but you are to conduct yourself in such a way that you can impact their life with, with, the, with spiritual things. And, and that's the empowerment we've been given. We've been enabled to perform. And thirdly, I said, the effect of the commission on believers is that it, it has obligated us to obey. You and I are obligated to be witnesses for Christ. We don't have the right. We don't have the right to just sit back and, and not live our lives for, for the glory of Christ. We don't have that right. We've been obligated by virtue of our, of our salvation, by virtue of the commission that Jesus has given, the commandment to go. Every one of us are obligated to obey the Lord. And, 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 and we will stand before him and give an account for what we did in this area of our lives. And so we must remember that. Now today, I'd like to just take a few moments and look at the effects of the Great Commission on the world. The, great, the effects of the Great Commission on the world. Let's look at John chapter 16 together. And I'll begin reading at verse 1. You follow along with me. 
John chapter 16, beginning at verse number 1. These things have I spoken unto you, that ye should not be offended. They shall put you out of the synagogues. Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God's service. And these things will they do unto you, because they have not known the Father, nor me. Now, we're talking here about the world, about the unsaved people. But these things have I told you, that when the time shall come, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I said not unto you at the beginning, because I was with you. But now I go my way to him that sent me, and none of you asketh me whither thou goest. But because I have said these things unto you, sorrow hath filled your heart. Nevertheless, verse 7, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away, for if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Here we see the, uh, in verse 8 that the Holy Spirit uh, is, is the influence and the power in this life that convicts the hearts of men. Verse number 9, of sin because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and ye see me no more. Of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. Verse 12, I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. Let's pray before we go any further. Father, thank you for this time. I pray that you would... Uh, touch our hearts today and open our minds to your word. And I pray, Lord, that you would help me to only say those things that edify and that are useful to your children. Thank you for this time now. We ask you bless in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we live in a world that is, for the most part, unconcerned with spiritual things. As we sit here this morning, there is somewhere in the neighborhood of 1.5 million people today Involved in football games across the country. People in the stadiums, the fans in the stadiums, the coaches, the staffs of the teams, the owners, the the media personnel. Will be approximately some 1.5 million people that will occupy their time this morning in football. And have absolutely no spiritual concern whatsoever. And there are countless, uh, there are other countless millions of people who have completely disregarded today. The praise and the worship of God. And as a result of this, all of them have completely ignored the first four commandments. Let's go to Exodus chapter 20 together. Turn with me, please, in your scriptures to Exodus chapter 20. Let's take a look at those first four commandments. I think it doesn't hurt us to take a look at them. You may, you may say, well, I know them. Well, yeah, but seeing is believing. Amen. So let's go to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, and we begin reading in verse number 2. We'll just skip verse 1. We read here, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. That's number 1. No other gods before me. So anything, that means if, if we have no other gods, that means God should be first and foremost in our life, right? So anything that would, that would come before God, anything that we would place before God must in fact be our God. And that's exactly what so many people do on every Sunday morning. They put other things ahead of the Lord. So they break commandment number one. Uh, Verse four, thou shalt not make 
unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is under the, in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children of the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. And there's a second commandment, not to have idols. So if, if there's anything that we put before God and then we serve that, that thing, then that becomes an idol unto us, right? So we, we, put, we put things ahead of God on Sunday and then we serve those things on a regular basis. Uh, we've, we've created another God and we, we've created an idol unto it. Okay, let's go over to verse 7. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. That's the third. Now, guarantee it's going to be a lot of those 1.5 million people today that are going to take the name of the Lord in vain. Because their God doesn't care if they take its name in vain, but our God does. Okay, verse number eight. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. The seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gate. And here we see the fourth commandment, which is to honor the Sabbath. And of course, if, if we are doing something other than being in church on Sunday, which is the Lord's day, then we are not honoring the Lord's day. We're not honoring the Sabbath. So by, by virtue of, of, of putting these other things, they have completely ignored the first four commandments, yet they seemingly have no concern over this. The world feels no shame nor remorse in this. They have no fear of God or what he can and may do because of their disobedience. And some, such were some of us. Before we were saved, we were the same way, were we not? And this is seen in so many other ways today also, not only in football. But there are so many things that people choose to do on the Lord's Day rather than be in his house worshiping and praising him. In John chapter 1, in verses 10 and 11, we read concerning Jesus, He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. And there's the condemnation on the world. That the world knows not Jesus. Verse 11. He came unto his own. And his own received him not. Now that's a, con- that's a condemnation upon the nation of Israel. He came unto his people of Israel. They, didn't, they received him not. Uh, but the world knows not God. We see that in verse number 10 of John chapter 1. The world does not receive the Lord. In other words, they do not acknowledge him in any way. In fact, the world rejects God and all of his ways. Let's go, to, let's go to Mark chapter 12 together. As I told you earlier, we're going to turn to a lot of scripture today. And um, I think that's important. So let's go to Mark chapter 12. And we'll read from here, beginning at verse number 1 of Mark chapter 12. I said that the, that the world rejects God and his ways. Look at Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. And he began to speak unto them a parable. A certain man planted a vineyard and set an hedge about it and digged a place for the wine fat and built a tower and let it out to husbandmen and went into a far country. 
And at the season, he sent to the husband a servant that he might receive from the husbandmen of the fruit of the vineyard. And they caught him and beat him and sent him away empty. And again, he sent unto them another servant. And at him, they cast stones and wounded him in the head and sent him away shamefully handled. And again, he sent another and him they killed and many others beating some and killing some. Having yet therefore one son, his well-beloved, he sent him also last unto them, saying, They will reverence my son. But those husbandmen said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance shall be ours. And they took him and killed him and cast him out of the vineyard. What shall therefore the Lord of the vineyard doeth? Uh, He will come and destroy the husbandmen and will give the vineyard unto others. And we see here uh, this parable, but using this parable, Jesus is... Is, is illustrating the fact that the, the prophets over the years have been rejected and slain and, 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 and beaten. And, and Jesus himself, the, the son of the, of the husbandman has come. The son of the, of the vineyard owner has come. And him will they kill and will they slay. And the world rejects God and all of his ways. The world denies God's existence. In Psalm 53 and verse 1 we read, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They, the world denies the authority of God. In Exodus chapter 5 and verse 2, we, we see the words of Pharaoh. As Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. And this, these words of Pharaoh have echoed through this world from that day until now. I know not the Lord. Who is, the, who is God, people say. The world's opinion is, who is God? That he would tell me what I can and cannot do. They reject their accountability. This world, the people of this world, the men of this world. They reject their accountability. In Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 20. We read, such is the way of an adulterous woman. She eateth and wipeth her mouth and saith, I have done no wickedness. And that's the opinion of the world. The world does not take accountability for their actions. They have no, they have no guilt for their sin. They, they, they feel no remorse. They, they, don't make, they don't feel accountable to God or, or to the word of God or to the commandments of God. They reject their accountability. In Malachi chapter 2 and verse 17, listen carefully to this. We read, ye have wearied the Lord with your words, yet ye say, wherein have we wearied him? When ye say, everyone that doeth evil is good in the sight of God, and he delighteth in them, or where is the God of judgment? (laughs) And we see here from the words of Malachi that the world denies their wickedness. It denies their evil because it does not believe in God. And they deny the authority and and the presence and all these things. But the day will come. The day will come when the wrath of God will be poured out upon this world. And upon all those who have rejected him and chosen the world before him. Now I want you to get a good picture of the world. I want you to see exactly what the world is through the eyes of God, through the word of God. Now considering this, this morning there are two things I want to stress in this class today to each of us. These are not things that you don't know already. But we tend to forget them. And we need to be reminded of them from time to time. So I want to share two thoughts with you this morning. Two, two things that I think if we can learn to do on a daily basis will help us to love the Lord as we should. And will help us to stay separate from the world as we must. Number one, set your affections 
on God. Set your affections on God. Turn with me, if you would, to Colossians. Let's go to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, and we'll look at verse number 1. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1. Let's read together here. You read silently as I read aloud. Uh, Colossians 3, 1. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Verse 2. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. Did you see verse number two there? Set your affection on things above. You know, it's been my experience in life that whatever a man loves is the priority of his life. And if we love God, if we truly love God, then God will be the priority in our life. Now, you could, you could poll every church in America and ask people, do you love God? What, what do you think the answer would be? What do you think their answer would be? Right? You could poll anyone who claims to believe in God and say, do you love him? What are they going to say? Oh, yes, I love God. Okay, well, that's pretty easy to say. Right? It's not hard to say, I love, I love you. But it's a lot harder to show, isn't it? Over the past several decades, we have seen a transformation in mainstream Christianity across America. And may I say, it has not been a transformation for the better. I, I, I don't know many... I don't know many many churches across America that haven't taken a step back in their, in, their, in, their, in their discipline toward God. Many believers today have rationalized and justified their adulterous relationship, and I use that term strongly, adulterous relationship with this world. They have, let's meet, many believers today have prostituted themselves with the world. They claim to love the Lord, but they involve themselves in their life in things that dishonor God. They involve themselves in their lives with things that God calls sinful, with things that God calls abominable. And, and some of us here today are guilty of this same thing. So let us not, let us not look down our nose with a the, with the callous attitude. We as a, as a Christian nation have prostituted ourselves with the world. Uh, and have had the, our consciences assuaged by teachers having itching ears. In 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 3, we read, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. You know, a lot of people come to our church and visit and hear the pastor preach, and they don't come back. You ever notice that? You ever wonder why? 
Because they don't want to hear what he has to say. Oh, no, no, no. Preach unto me smooth things. Don't sit there and talk to me about hell. Don't, sit, don't stand there and talk to me about sin. No, no, t- tell me how, how much God loves me. Tell me how prosperous God wants me to be. Tell me how it's okay that I, that I dabble in, in, in things I shouldn't dabble in. Don't, don't emphasize sin to me. Don't stress sin. They don't want to hear that. Don't want to hear that. They heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Teacher, preachers who say, I want a paycheck, so I'm just going to say what they want to hear. You know, a preacher who loves the Lord and preaches truth could preach himself right out of a job. Do you ever, do you ever think of that? In this nation, he could preach himself right out of a job. He could find himself one day preaching to nobody but his wife and only because she has to be there. Second Timothy chapter 4 and verse 4 we read, And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. I could, I could stand here this morning and be Joel Olstein. Uh, all right? I could stand here this morning and be Benny Hinn. Oh, I got a word of revelation from God. They don't want, they, don't, they, they turn away from truth. They, they want to believe stories. They want to believe fables. This is the world. And we are not to have our relationship in the world. These willingly allow themselves to be defrauded. And that is because their deeds are evil. And they desire to be justified in their own minds. In John chapter 3, we read verses 17 through 21. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth in him is not condemned, but he, he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light is coming to the world, and men love darkness rather than light. Because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. You know, after I got saved, I just, and I still to this day, I love going to church. And, and I do not believe, I may be wrong in this, but I, I'm not sure that I've ever heard a preacher, preach, my pastor preach a message that didn't convict me in my heart. Because, folks, no matter how good I think I am, I've always got things in my life that shouldn't be there. And you're the same way. And we will be that way until we are made incorruptible in the sight of God. Unfortunately, too many Christians sit in a church service and as the preacher's preachers, as the preacher's preaching, they're not applying to themselves. They're applying it to everyone around them. Oh, yeah, well, she needs to hear that. Yeah, that's for sure. You go, preacher. Yeah, let him have it. Yeah. Well, what about you? You know what, if, if, if I could walk out of a church service after pastors preached and not feel in my heart that there was something in there I needed to hear, I'd be pretty sad. Because I know, I know that I'm not perfect. And I know that in my heart rests the ability to do the most horrendous things I ever thought of. And God needs to hammer that out of us every day. Unfortunately, many do not even see any fault in those that live in the darkness. 
There are many Christians today who sit, who sit in, in a church service and hear the preaching, and, and they don't even see any, any problem with some of the things that are going on in their life or the lives of others. In Romans chapter 1, verse 32, Paul says, Who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. And this is why so many believers today find their satisfaction in the world rather than in the righteousness of Christ. There are a lot of Christians across this country that are perfectly comfortable living, in, living a life in the world. But John tells us in 1 John chapter 2, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. And let me ask you a question this morning. I want you to consider yourself in this question. Where are your affections this morning? What do you love? And I'm talking about God or the world. Because if you love God, then you can't help but despise this world. On the other hand, if you love this world, sooner or later you're going to learn to despise God. Where are your affections this morning? Talking about you, not the person next to you, not someone else that comes into your mind. Talking about you. Where are your affections this morning? And I ask that question not only of those that are here, but of those that are not here that may happen to hear this message. Where are your affections this morning? If your affections are in the Lord, you will not love the world. But then secondly this morning, I just want to remind us with the last six or so minutes that we have. To live in anticipation of heaven. Live in anticipation of heaven. Again, these are not things that you've never heard before. They're not things you didn't know. But we forget about them, don't we? We forget about how important the love of God, our love to God really is. We get so wrapped up and caught up in the world, we forget about God. And don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about because everybody does. You've been there. I know you have. I've been there. I've gotten so wrapped up in what's happening around me and so busy that God escaped my thought process. It happens to all of us. And it's then, by the way, that we make our biggest mistakes in life. It's then that we do something that we pay for for years down the road. But this morning, live in anticipation of heaven. Let's go to John chapter 14. Let's all turn there together. John chapter 14. Now this is scriptures that probably most of you have committed to memory. It's, it's, a, it's verses that all of our school children were, were, were uh, led to, to memorize and to know. John chapter 14. Look at verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go, ye know. And the way, ye know. 
Live in anticipation of heaven. Have you ever greatly anticipated a trip? You know, when my kids were young, we, we would go to Disneyland for, for vacation. I don't know if you like Disneyland or not. I like it. I like Mickey Mouse. I like Donald Duck. I like Goofy. I relate real well to Goofy. I love that. And what I used to do is I created a countdown calendar. You guys remember the countdown calendar? Huh? Yeah, I'd I, I, I create a countdown calendar from 100 to zero. And at zero, I draw a little picture of Disneyland. And I put that thing on the wall. And every day, every day, the kids would take turns and they would go to the calendar and they would mark a day off. And we just thought about that trip and thought about that trip and thought about that trip and anticipated that. We, div- we created such a desire to be there that we couldn't wait to go. We'd sing Disney songs. We'd watch Disney movies. We, we'd do all these things, and the kids would be so excited. And finally, the big day would come when we'd go to Disneyland. It was so much fun and such a joy. That's the way we should live with heaven. Now, we can't make a countdown calendar because we don't know when we're going. But each day we can mark off one more day and say, hey, we're getting closer. And we can think about it. And we can anticipate it. And we can dream about it. And we can talk about it. And we can live our lives in, in anticipation of that day. However, I fear to the average believer the reality of going to heaven rarely enters into their conscious thought. They know they're going, but seldom do they meditate upon this reality. The older I grow, the more I think about heaven. Every day I sit there and think about those that have gone on before us. I think about all the people in my life that used to be in the church back in Louisiana and in the church here that have already passed away and are in heaven. I think about the reunion with them. I think about seeing them again. I think about the glory that we'll have when we stand in the presence of Christ. I cannot understand how anyone who knows the fate of this world and has acknowledged the assurance of their home in heaven could possibly place more emphasis and priority on this life and spend so little time preparing for and anticipating eternal life with the Lord. And I dare to say this, that unless God changes the heart and mind of men at the rapture of the church... I think the vast majority of believers would be miserable for eternity in heaven because they don't want to leave what they have here. They love what's here too much and don't don't want to leave it for that. And unless God would change us when he takes us home, some of us would be miserable in heaven. Can you imagine that? But praise God, we will be changed. I don't have time to turn to it and read it because I'm out of time. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we read that we will be changed in a moment at the coming of the, of the Lord. The Great Commission, which is the commencement of the gospel of Christ, has a most definite effect upon this world. You know, when I think about this world, I could not possibly love anyone that hates my father. I don't know about you, but if somebody hated my father and if somebody just couldn't stand the sight of my mother, I don't think I could love them. Yet we we love this world many times, and the world hates God. 
And the world rejects God. And the world despises God. How can you possibly put your affections in the world? The effects of the Great Commission on this world. And as believers, let us set our affections on God. And let us live in anticipation of heaven. All right, folks, that's all the time we have. So we'll dismiss this morning. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronan Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.